Yo, 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 what up? This is Donnie Kwok of The Ringer, and welcome to Ringer FC, the World Cup edition. As a reminder, the World Cup kicked off today, and starting from today, we are going daily, recording podcasts every weekday for the duration of the group stage. Now, usually you guys hear me on Ringer FC in the panel, but today I'm playing host, so I'm Gary Lineker, which makes my co-host today, I guess, Ian Wright. Ryan O'Hanlon, everyone. It's Paul Gascoigne, baby. Alan Shear, <laughs> Paul Gascoigne. <laughs> good enough, good enough. And another reminder to check out all of our World Cup coverage on TheRinger.com. Most of it helmed by Ryan, including his excellent story on Leo Messi's World Cup evolution. Anyway, let's get right into it. The opening match was today. We just watched it. El Gasico, Russia versus <laughs> Saudi Arabia. A real feel-good story. A 5 nothing win for Russia in front of Vladimir Putin. Uh, Ryan, most pundits were telling us that Russia was one of the worst teams in the tournament, possibly the worst host nation ever. Everybody said and thought that this match was going to suck. Were they wrong? Uh, yeah, they were wrong. I think <laughs> I think we found out today that the worst team is actually the team that was playing Russia in the first <laughs> right, game. Right, right. Which is actually, so Russia is ranked below them in FIFA, but above them in ELO. So I guess trust ELO. Yeah, exactly. Another argument in ELO's favor. I think... Uh, it's always weird when the host team is not like a, a powerhouse, right? right? Because they kind of play a bunch of friendlies for four years or right. two we years. We saw that with South Africa. Yeah, in so it's really impossible to actually get a hang on how good the teams are because you know friendly games are meaningless for the most part. Um, so I think you know it's that, and it's probably c- combined with a little bit of like just anti anti Russian sentiment um, throughout the world <laughs> that has led us to. You know, the Russian League is fine, right? Like, the, those guys play, a lot of those guys play in the Champions League. It's not like, it's just, this team is way better than South Africa was, is essentially what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Right, right. And, and most pundits were saying that this was like a very poor generation for Russia. A lot of their older guys retired. In fact, they had to call one of their old guys back to play defense. Um, and that overall, it was just one of the worst Russia teams in memory, but I mean, today we saw, I mean, everyone's talking about after the match, this guy, Alexander Golovin, who Arsenal fans will remember, he plays for Cheska Moscow and he scored an incredible free kick at the Emirates. He also had a free kick goal. I think it was the last goal of today's game. But I mean, he kind of stood out today, right? As far as talent. Yeah, he seems to me like the, uh, he's already leading the way on the guy that his transfer fee just went up 30 million. And <laughs> I already saw he, he should be on Madrid or Man City exactly, on Twitter. Exactly, so. and he's probably not going to be able to live up to the impossible expectations. But but just the fact that like Russia has a guy like that just automatically means that we were wrong, right? Right. Right. And then conversely, looking at Saudi Arabia, I was remarking to you while we were watching the game that Saudi Arabia's style is kind of on low-key attractive. I mean, they keep possession of the ball and it's a lot of short passes, but the turnovers and then their susceptibility to counterattacks was kind of glaring. Yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> it's a good example of why untalented teams play defensively and play brooding players without foot skills. I think today was a lesson in. Um, it's just it's you know the other the crazy thing about Saudi Arabia is I think they've they've had three managers since they qualified for the World Cup. Um, right, one of which was Bert Van Marwijk, who's coaching Australia, Australia. now. Mm-hmm. Famously brought the Netherlands uh, to within an Andres Iniesta goal of winning the World Cup. Um, and their new coach is uh, Juan Antonio Pizzi, who failed to qualify for the World Cup with Chile, took over. Though did win the Copa with them. That's true. He did win the Copa. Um, but he took over the team and seemingly in, what, three or four months tried to turn them into, like, 
just a very subpar version of Spain, basically. <laughs> they had a budget, a, budget, budget version. Yeah, extremely budget, which is a weird thing to say about a, a country like Saudi Arabia, <laughs> I guess. But, you know, the, even you look at the numbers, it's like they had over 60% possession. They completed double the amount of passes that Russia completed. And they got, despite that, they got just completely dominated, right? They did. They did. And, and another thing that you saw was their decided height disadvantage. The, <laughs> yeah. They're the shortest team by far, actually, of the of the World Cup teams. And it was actually kind of comical when you saw Artem Zuba come on as yep. a sub. He's six. He's not only is he tall, he's six five, but he's built like a fucking linebacker. And compared to the uh, Saudi Arabian defenders, he was just towering over them. And he predictably scored on the first ball. That was a uh, lofted toward his head. That was great, and he was he was I think two substitutes scored in this game. I guess there were three goals from substitutes, which I think, which I think is right. A Dennis Cherisev scored the Villarreal guy who actually came up in uh, Real Madrid academy, and he showed his skill too. So as you said, Russia is not devoid of technical ability. I guess overall, the feeling around the team, based on I guess the Confederations Cup and the friendlies, was that you know they might suffer in this tournament. But it looks like. Look, one five nil match later, it looks like they could make it to the next round. Well, it's like I, I don't have the numbers, but I can't imagine there have been many teams that have won a game five zero in the group stages and somehow still not advanced. <laughs> right. What, what was your opinion, I guess, of the overall spectacle? You know, as a World Cup opener with the all the pomp and circumstance and Putin and Infantino and all of that. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> it's. I think our. I think it, the biggest thing for me was especially watching the broadcast um, oh, with right. uh, Tony Miola and uh, JP Telecamera. Right, right. So in America, we're forced to watch on Fox, and Fox very notably is not send, uh, is sending basically all Americans or non-English. You know, most people are accustomed to hearing English people or people from the UK do commentary, and 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 Fox is sending guys like Tony Miola. Yes. Tony Miller, who once tried out for the Jets, is now uh, calling the World Cup opener. That's kind of where we are. But I think, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't say that, I guess there is sort of a, we've been conditioned to like expect to hear a British accent, you know, right. when there's a big soccer game on. So I'm not like against there being American voices. I just think that the way Fox covers these games is very like, very surface, surface level, right? right. But like, almost surface level to like uh it doesn't really assume any kind of uh intelligence on the <laughs> the part of the viewer right um so i think the thing to me and someone someone said this in our slack that it just didn't feel like the start of a world cup to me right. watching the game sean fennessy our editor in yes chief, it was him who's I, not a regular soccer watcher yeah i should have uh i should have known that it was sean i'm probably gonna get <laughs> fired uh but i think that that was the biggest takeaway for me it felt I guess probably because of some of the, you know, Vladimir Putin and Gianni Infantino are, I guess I'll say complicated people, uh, complicated leaders to say the <laughs> least. And then combining that with what I think was just quite honestly a lackluster broadcast made it. And then the game being 5 nothing, um, it, it, it didn't make it feel like it was the start of this, you know, emotional, incredible sporting event that we've been, you know, gearing up for for the past yeah, month. T Tony Miola's on it slightly sedated, I guess. 
sedated and then hearing him pronounce the Russian names, it, it sounded like he was like an Italian butcher. <laughs> we, did, we did get a, a, a great meme from it. I think, you know, in the, in the for, I was just mentioning South Africa, like the first game, it was all about the Vuvuzela. Vuvuzela? Mm-hmm. And in this one, it's Putin's shrug. That was classic. After the first goal. Yeah, that, that's kind of the perfect image for <laughs> for the, this World Cup, it seems like. One more closing note here on this. Well, actually, let me do a quick kit review because I, I'm into kits. I, I, I was going to give power. it. A, I was going to give it a grade of a D. And when I say kit review, I mean looking at both teams' kits and how they uh, mesh or clash. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm giving it a C minus uh, because of Russia's socks. Russia's socks were choice, perfect. Saudi, pleasing shade of green, just needed another detail. Yeah. But well, one more thing I saw on Twitter, Ryan. I wanted to ask you about is that. A lot of people were mentioning that Saudi's performance kind of is a warning sign for when we go, we go to 48 teams and teams worse than Saudi Arabia will be in the World Cup. Is that something that crossed your mind while watching? Yeah, I, I think that's that's definitely a legitimate uh, thing to worry about. But at the same time, there are, you know, Italy and the Netherlands and I'm not going to say the U.S. <laughs> um, I was waiting for it. I'm not going to say that. Even Chile. Um Wales, teams like that, like those teams will be in it this time. So I think, I guess the percent, the percentage of bad teams will be the same. There might just be a couple more. Right. Um, but, I, but I think also the, that the way that that world cup is going to be structured is going to encourage teams to play more defensively, which I guess is bad for the viewers, but then you won't have what happened with Saudi Arabia, I guess too. So. Right. And we should be clear. It, it, it isn't, hasn't been confirmed yet whether we're going 48 in 22 yep. or in 26, which of course will be in North America. Mm-hmm. All right, so that wraps up the opening match. Now looking ahead to tomorrow, Friday, finally we get, a, you know, today there was only one match. Usually on the opening day there's a couple matches, but today there was only one. Tomorrow, finally, we get three matches. And we were talking just now about Russia and their prospects of advancing out of Group A. Well, Egypt plays Uruguay tomorrow, obviously the other two teams in, in Group A. And Ryan, how do you see that playing out? And is Salah... Your God coming back? I'm conflicted with Salah as a Liverpool fan. Do I want him to kind of force himself onto the field and risk <laughs> risk further injury, uh, or do I want him to just rest? I think I think with the Salah situation, um, for anyone who doesn't know, injured himself, or injured himself is not the right way to describe it. Sergio Ramos injured him in the <laughs> Champions League final, and he hasn't played soccer since, uh, and that was the end of May. And it's a dislocated shoulder, is it? Yeah, which is... You know, there's the whole, oh, you play with your feet. Like, that doesn't matter. But actually, like, to balance and to run, you need your shoulder. Um, so I think I think the smart thing to do is to expect him to not be 100%, right? We just haven't seen him play. Right. And if he's not 100%, it's just... But do you think today's results kind of forces Egypt's hand a little bit that they kind of need to, or not need to get a result tomorrow, but it makes it more kind of uh, important that they, you know, they can nick a point maybe if they have Salah on the pitch. and Yeah, maybe as opposed to if it was just a tie, I think Egypt is kind of like playing with house money at that point against Uruguay because Uruguay's the clear favorite. But I think right. now that Russia's put a marker down with five goals, it's now, I mean, barring an insane turnaround, Saudi Arabia is out of it already. So, and five goals is a lot to make up. Um, so I kind of think they, it would behoove them to, not start off the tournament three goals and something like, you know, if they lose 2 nothing, there's seven goals back of Russia on goal differential. That's, no matter what the schedule is, that's hard to make up. Um, so I think it, it does put a lot, a little more pressure on Uruguay um, to, or on Egypt to win a game that they're just not going to be favored in. 
Right, right. And I've been hearing a lot of chatter, actually, uh, about Uruguay as dark horses, even potential finalists. Mm -hmm. Buy or sell? Uh, I don't buy them as potential finalists, but I, th I think they can make a run. I think they can get to the quarterfinals. Um, they, you know, they're sort of a, one of the more consistent nations in the world over the past, since 2010, right? Mm -hmm. Um, just have a very good coach who's, who's been there since 2010, which it's kind of crazy, but it, it, he's done a great job. Oscar Tabarez. Um, right. I think he has the longest tenure, right? Yep. By, by like a crazy amount, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, Saudi Arabia has had three managers in like five months. <laughs> um, I and they're they're kind of they're potentially going to be a little more. They've always been a very solid defensive team, and then they have Suarez and Cavani, you know, biting people and scoring enough <laughs> goals um, or blocking shots with their hands uh, to get through. But I think they have a new generation of midfielders. Um, including, I guess, officially. Is he officially an Arsenal player now? It's not official official yet. I mean, he's liking Arsenal stuff on Instagram, and that's usually a good sign. <laughs> but, you know, as we always say, until he holds up the shirt. But you're talking, of course, of Lucas Torreira, yes. uh, who wears number 14 for Uruguay. He's the midfielder, defensive midfielder that we've been asking for for years. 22 year, years old from Sampdoria. And I guess also a sign or a symbol of the fact that Uruguay has kind of like this old generation and new generation coming together, which makes them sort of formidable. Because um, he's like, you know, actually he may not start, but uh, people are really excited about the way he bosses the midfield and, um, you know, how I think maybe Uruguay in the past, uh, defense was strong, um, the offensive, the attack was strong, but the midfield could have been questionable. And mm -hmm. he's kind of a sign that they have talent now to shore that up. Well, they had a, a very kind of... Uh Grim Reaper-esque midfield, I would say, of just very defensive players that right. sort Choppers, of not really abided creators. by the either the man or the ball gets by you, but not both um, <laughs> maxim. <laughs> so I think, you know, looking at Uruguay, like 538, their rankings have them as uh, the 11th best team, which, you know, that's pretty good dark horse territory. Their results haven't been incredible over the past couple of years, but it's like these guys still have... Luis Suarez and Edison Cavani, who are two of the you know ten best strikers in the world, they have this young generation coming through the midfield. They have Diego Godín, the sort of stalwart at center back, and then they have Jose Jiménez, who plays with Diego Godín as kind of the heir apparent to him in the middle. So it's it's a very very nice spine to the team. So I I, I can totally understand why people are talking themselves into them. Yeah, we should quickly mention Godín's teammate, uh, club teammate, just made an announcement today. You care to share it with the world, right? Uh, Antoine Griezmann held his own version of the decision today and said that he's staying with Atletico Madrid. So it's, it was amazing, an amazing act of hubris just for young Antoine. Complete waste of everyone's time. So really appreciated <laughs> that. <laughs> so that's the Egypt Uruguay. That's the opening match of uh, tomorrow's games and the second match of Group A. And and then we're going on to Group B now. Morocco Iran is the middle game. Uh, one of the things people have been talking about going into this match is. One of the exciting talents uh, on the Moroccan team, we actually wrote about him on the ringer in, in our like uh, young players to look for. It's uh, Hakim Zayech, I guess you could say his yep. last name. Tell yep. us about him, Ryan. He's a Dutch-born, um, like pretty much everyone on Morocco is born <laughs> outside of Morocco, actually. Right, like um, France or Netherlands. Yeah, he's a Dutch-born attacking midfielder. I think a lot of people would say that he was the best um best player in the Eredivisie this year for Ajax. He's an incredible passer of the ball, like just 
it's beautiful to watch this guy in space lay balls onto his teammates. But the other thing that he does is he has a sort of J.R. Smith level trigger finger, (laughs) (laughs) which is typically not a good thing in soccer. You know, if a guy you're open from 30 yards out ripping a shot, the outcome of that is typically not a goal, but Ziyech kind of is willing to shoot from anywhere. So he is, I think it's an interesting combination of being such a gifted, gifted at such an unselfish skill as passing, but also being this extremely sort of selfish kind of ambitious, ambitious shooter. Um, like that selfish and unselfish at the same time. Exactly. So, I mean, that's kind of, what more do you guys need to watch that game tomorrow? <laughs> uh, he wears number seven, if you guys want to look out for him. And then on the other hand, Iran, um, I watched about, well, at least two of Iran's qualifying matches uh, because they play, obviously, in the Asian Federation and they played Korea. They were in the same group. So, Iran always beats Korea, or usually beats them. They're a very <laughs> shitty team to play against. Uh, shitty by, by shitty, I mean they're difficult to play against. Yeah, uh, they're quite, quite cynical, uh, defensive, uh, and cagey, I guess. Uh, and maybe that goes down to their manager, who's uh, Carlos Kuros. Yep. <laughs> Why do I Former keep uh, manager. I feel, of... I feel like I feel like Bill <laughs> Carlos Kuros. You know, that's Alex Ferguson's used to be his Alec, uh, Fergie's right hand man. Carlos Kuros uh, managed the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars at one point. <laughs> Also, the Metro Stars. Uh, we were talking about Tabarez in Uruguay. Kuroz uh, has been the Iran coach since April 2011. So there's some continuity there with the team. And, uh, you know, they're always a difficult team to play against. They never embarrass themselves. Um, they're always in matches, I guess. Maybe not the funnest team to watch. But I noticed that they have a player who's a target of Liverpool, Ryan. Sardar Azmoun. Uh Sardar Asmoon, who I'm going to admit I've literally never heard of until this moment. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. This is the thing. 23 goals in 33 caps, which sounds amazing. But then we were watching the Saudi Arabia match yeah. today. And, you know, when you see like Al Salawi has 28 goals in 37 caps, mm-hmm. it's in the Asian Federation. So <laughs> some of, the some of those matches. Yeah, like it's again Kazakhstan. And, getting and stumped on by Saudi Arabia. Yeah, so... <laughs> Uh, Morocco, Iran is the second. So uh, the second of the three matches. And then finally, this is the centerpiece uh, and probably the first match of the World Cup that everyone's really hotly anticipating. Yep. And that's Portugal and Spain. This will be the match where we, uh, I think this is the match where we find out whether or not uh, Spain's decision to fire their manager two days before the tournament uh, is either a neutral decision or a terrible decision. I know you guys t- talked a little bit about it yesterday. Uh, maybe just a quick refresher because actually, uh, who the Julian Lopetegui was yep. just introduced today, Thursday, as the Real Madrid manager. He Flew actually home. said <laughs> he said that yesterday was the saddest day of his life since the death of his mother. I felt quite sad seeing that. Wow. That's uh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, basically, uh, two de- yesterday he, uh, morning was it yesterday morning. Uh, yep. Yesterday morning, he was fired um, as the manager of Spain uh, because the Federation found out that he was already in negotiations and actually agreed to become the new manager of Real Madrid. But they found out, I guess, five minutes before he announced it to the team. And so um, they basically booted him for, I guess, impropriety. Yeah, they 
the the president of the Spanish Federation sort of made a point to make it clear that this had nothing to do with the team's performance whatsoever, which... Right. Of, Luis Rubiales. Of course it didn't, because uh, they won 16 and drew four for under the 20 games they played with Lopetegui. Um, it's really just wild. I, I still can't wrap my head around it. I mean, I thought... I thought in my personal rankings, I would have had Spain as the second best team coming into this. And now it's kind of, I have no idea. And I just don't understand. You know, we, <laughs> I said this yesterday on our show, we've seen countless times of high profile managers agreeing to take another job after a World Cup and it being totally fine. <laughs> right. And for some reason, they couldn't, I guess, you know, maybe because of Real Madrid, Barcelona style dynamics um uh, that's what i was going to say because if he had accepted the job to be the manager of Bayern munich or something i don't think it would have been as big of an issue mm -hmm. if yeah. an issue at all yeah i wonder if if it kind of came out in the same way and it was Bayern and not real I, I i think he probably is still the coach which kind of just speaks to the sort of absurdity of the situation in my yeah. mind yeah so their new manager of course is fernando yero uh former center back um, for Real Madrid, for Real Madrid and Bolton. <laughs> yeah. Did you? What, what, what <laughs> was your? Do you? Do you? So do you think? It, I mean, obviously, we'll see what happens tomorrow. But you're saying it kind of. You think it's going to weaken their chances? That seems to be the popular belief now. Um, I I honestly don't really know. I think if you're projecting their performance, you have to kind of, you have to just project something a little bit lower, just because you don't really know what kind of effect it it's going to have. But at the same time if there's one nation that kind of has their style and the way they play nailed down and has played the same way for 10 years now, it's Spain. You know, it's it's just when you watch them play, it's like these guys are, it often feels like they're kind of playing a pickup five-on-five -five game just through, ver like they've divided the field into 15 different grids of 5v5 possession games that they eventually <laughs> like move the ball up to the goal with. So I think if there's one team that kind of, doesn't need a manager. Uh, I would say it's Spain, but it, you know, it's based on them firing because of internal squad dynamics. It's hard for me to see how it won't negatively affect the team. Right. Right. And so does this unrest, I guess, uh, for their opponent provide like a hope for Portugal then? Uh, what do you expect from them? Yeah, I think, I think it, I think it does. I, P Portugal have historically started tournaments terribly um they barely got out of their group in the euros they only got out because they expanded the field and a couple third place teams got out of their groups at the euros and at the last world cup they uh lost to germany and pepe got red carded um in the first game and then they <laughs> kind of unraveled from there and you know they're, they're despite having cristiano ronaldo they do play a very kind of reactive conservative style so i wonder if I wonder if that either leads the manager to kind of be like, you know what, this team is maybe there for the taking and we can push it a little more. Or if, you know, that that just plays into um, Portugal's hands and they can just counterattack Spain to death. I think uh, I think Spain was, they're still favored in the betting markets, but I think, you know, it's, it could not be a better situation for Portugal. Because, you know, just like we said with Russia, if... I think these two teams are favored to go through, but right. if Spain beat Portugal 2-0 in the first game and then Morocco beats Iran, you know, by the same score, that's a that's still a pretty big deficit that Portugal has to make up. And right. now it's, you know, Spain is not, it's not as intimidating intimidating of an opponent, I don't think anymore. 
So that about wraps it up. Soccer Christmas is upon us. I can't wait. Uh, neither can I. Yeah, neither can Ryan. Uh, so make sure you stay tuned to Ringer FC. Like I said, we're going to be updating daily, and it's only going to get better from here. Peace, everybody. Vladdy Putin. <laughs> <laughs>